The question for today is this. How does a person of faith live their faith in a faithless world? How do we remain faithful in a faithless world? It was cold that night when Peter stood there at the fire in, in the courtyard of, of the high priest trying to warm himself. And then the question started, and all of a sudden it was so hot that, that he got rid of the most important garment that he was wearing. It was the one who said, disciple of Jesus, Christ follower. See, he would rather stand out there in the cold, shivering, than admit who he really was in that moment. So Paul comes and he writes to us in the book of Romans, chapter 12, verse 2. He says, so here's, here's the warning. Do not conform to this world, but rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed. And, and that's the choice that each one of us has to make every day of our lives as we live in this world. The choice to conform to the world or be transformed and live as someone who is transformed in Jesus Christ. Now, Mordecai and Esther and Peter, they decided to conform. And, and I know in a moment you're saying, you got this all wrong. Have, have you read the rest of the book of Esther? They were the people who liberated the Jewish people. They were the ones who, who stood for what they believed. Well, not until they didn't, right? That's what I love about the Bible. When the Bible talks about people, it tells the stories of real people like us. People like Mordecai and Esther who did amazing things, but also were known for not standing for their faith. And that takes us to chapter 2 where we're going to stand, uh, going to start today. Just before we read that, so a little background. The book of Esther was written so that it would be read at the Feast of Purim. And I will tell you about that right at the end. And it tells us about that right at the end of the book of Esther. But at the Feast of Purim, they are reminded to stand up for their faith, to not compromise, to not blend in, but to be who they are in God. So now we read this chapter and then you'll understand why maybe a few eyebrows would raise in chapter 2. Verse 5, now there was in the citadel of Susa a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin named Mordecai, the son of Jair, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, who had been carried into exile from Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, among those taken captive with Jehoiakim, the king of Judah. Mordecai had a cousin named Hadassah, whom he had brought up because she had neither father nor mother. This young woman was also known as Esther. 
She had a, be- a lovely figure and was beautiful. Mordecai had taken her as his own daughter when her father and mother died. When the king's order and edict had been proclaimed, uh, you remember this, so can I just stop here for a second for those who weren't here last week. Uh, king Xerxes, in his drunken stupor, asked his wife to come and parade in front of his drunken friends, and the queen Vashti said, I'm not going to be doing that. And so he got so angry, and he got his seven wise Alex to try and give him advice. And they said, so she's not queen anymore, and now you call out this contest in which you'll have all the young women come, and they can try out to become the queen of Persia. So this is where we are. When the king's order and edict had been proclaimed, many young women were brought to the citadel of Susa and put under the care of Hegai. Esther also was taken to the king's palace and entrusted to Hegai, who had charge of the harem. She pleased him and won his favor. Immediately, he provided her with her beauty treatments and special food. He assigned to her seven female attendants selected from the king's palace and moved her and her attendants into the best place in the harem. Esther had not revealed her nationality and family background because Mordecai had forbidden her to do so. Remember I said they were known for not living their faith? Okay, so let's, let's unpack this. For us, it's kind of, yeah, it's, it's an interesting little passage, and maybe the most difficult part is the names that we have to try and pronounce. And then that verse 10 is the one that just kind of stands out. She did not reveal who she was because Mordecai told her to lie about that, to not reveal that. To us, not a big deal. To those who would have written, the, who would have read this post-exile, coming back to Jerusalem, having to have to stand up all this time for their faith, there would have been quite a few red lights going on. So let me walk you through those question red lights. The first thing they would say is, so what is Mordecai, a, a righteous Jew, doing in the citadel of Susa? Remember I told you that was the center of Persian religion, of Persian culture, of Persian paganism. Most of the Jewish people lived far away from Susa. Why would he settle there? Number two, why would this Mordecai go work for this pagan King Xerxes? Verse 21, if you go read that, says he was standing at the, at the gates. Actually, the Hebrew says he was on duty working at the palace gates. He worked for Xerxes. Why? They would ask that. Wouldn't he find something else to do? Why would he go work for this pagan and be influenced by him? Number three, why would a Jewish man righteous Jewish, Jewish man have a pagan name because the name Mordecai is not a Jewish name. Mordecai comes from the name of the god Marduk who was a Babylonian god and Mordecai means follower of Marduk, the Babylonian god. So quite a few questions they would have asked, right? So he's got a strange name, he works for the king, he's settled there. Why? Maybe the, the answer, a little bit of that, is in verse 5 where we started, where it said, he was from the tribe of Benjamin. He was the son of Jair, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish. Did you count them? One, two, three generations removed from the days in Jerusalem, from the days close to the temple. 
So plenty of time to conform. Many of, plenty of time to blend in. Plenty of time to acclimatize to Persian life and Persian living. Remember I told you that last week. It was a choice they had to make if they wanted to have a position. So by now it seems that he has traded his Jewish nationality for, or identity for a Persian, Persian security. And then he advises Esther to do the same. Esther, the young woman with two names, this beautiful young woman, Hadassah, her Hebrew name, which means myrtle. And usually the rabbinic scribes would tell us that it's always associated with someone being righteous. And then also her name, Esther, which again, interestingly enough, is named after a pagan goddess. She's named after the goddess Ishtar, who was the goddess of war and erotic love. So it's one question upon the other question upon the other question. What is going on here? And then maybe the most scary part of this. Why would Mordecai let his beloved Hadassah enter into the contest to become queen of Persia? Now, can I just tell you something? This was not just them coming and parading in their beautiful evening gowns and, and having a little speech and impressing the king. No, 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 no. This was the kind of junk like the bachelorette that you watch on TV. It also included a knight in the bed of a Persian king as part of the process. Why? Why would he do that? What is going on here? Let me give you a little background, a little context. Maybe it'll help. The Persians, like the Babylonians, allowed the people who, who they conquered to continue worshiping their gods. But you were also obliged to worship the gods of the Persians. Now, for a Jewish person, that would be really, really difficult because they lived under the law that said, Shema Yisrael, Yahweh Eloheinu, Yahweh Chat. Listen, O Israel, the Lord your God is one, and he is the only God, and you shall not have other gods before him. So the question that comes from all of this is the question that the psalmist asks. How shall we sing the song of the Lord in a strange land? And it brings us to the question where I started this morning. How does a person of faith live their faith in a faithless world? Well, initially Mordecai and Esther decided to disguise and compromise. Why tell the king something that he didn't need to know? Why make him angry if you could really make him happy? Why would it be so bad to just sacrifice a little bit to the Persian gods if you really believe in God and you just kind of do the Persian thing because you have to do the Persian thing? Why do I have to wear my t-shirt that says disciple of Jesus Christ and then live that? And slowly but surely, the compromise becomes more and more and more. And they just blend in. And the question is, Peter, 
But you, you were one of them, weren't you? You were his disciple. Uh, I don't know what you're talking about. But we saw you. With, I have no idea what you're talking about. But you definitely, I have no idea. And then he even used the words that the word would use. And he started cussing at them. Because how do we live our faith without compromise? In a compromising world. It's an easy question, right? But to live that question is really different. Because if I am going to live that, sometimes doors will close. Close. Sometimes I will not be able to become the queen. So I was thinking as I was reading this, uh, if Mordecai was here, I would want to say, Mordecai, sit down. I, I need to ask you a question. Why would you do this? To Esther, to Hadassah, your lovely Hadassah? Why would you send her into a place where you knew that she could be hurt? Where you knew that if she did not become the queen, she would live in that harem for the rest of her life as one of Xerxes' concubines that he could just call whenever he needed her? Why would you do that? And then I asked myself, what would he answer me? And I thought maybe two things. Maybe Mordecai would say to me, you have no idea what it was living in Persia in 5th century BC. You have no idea how dangerous a place that was for a young woman like Esther. And me getting her into the palace, even if she had to live in that harem, at least gave her a place to live, gave her some safety, gave her some security. That's why I did that. Or maybe he would have said to me, you have no idea. But I actually had a plan with all of this. Do you know that I knew Haggai working at the palace? Did you know that he was my friend? And that I told him about Esther and I told Esther about him and he made me a promise that he would take care of Esther? But I couldn't tell him who she really was and where she came from and who she believed in because then all of this would backfire. See, my friends, here's the thing. It is so easy to compromise and to blend in. Not just in Persia, at work, in the office, at home, at school, on the ice rink, off the ice rink, in the hotel, at the parties. Let's just blend in. Let's just go with the flow. Let's just take that t-shirt off that says, Christ follower for now. We'll get it back a little later. Just hide it for now. And then later I'll put it back on again. And sometimes we stand out in the cold and we shiver. How does a person of faith Live their faith in a faithless world. Word has an answer for us in those moments in which I want to take that garment off. Listen to what the word says. First John chapter 3. Beautiful. What marvelous love the Father has extended to us. Just look at it. We are called children of God. 
And that's who we really are. Can I stop for one second? Can you, can you just look at each other for a moment? And can you just say to each other, I know it's hard for a Presbyterian church to do that. Can you just say to those next to you, can you just tell them who they are, please? Can take a moment? Tell them, you are a child of God. You're a child of God. And that is who you are. That's what the Word of God says. It's not me saying that. This is God saying this. Will you hear that? In a compromising world. Will you hear that? In a faithless world. Will you hear that? In a world who says to you, take off that shirt. No, you can't. Because it's written in your life, in the blood of Jesus Christ. That's who you are. And you will taste that and you will see that this morning. You are a child of God. That's who you really are. But that's also why the world doesn't recognize us or take us seriously. Because it has no idea who God is or what he is up to. That is who you are. You are the presence of Jesus in this world. Ted, there's a slide. The word says, you are justified. Go read that in Romans chapter 5. The word says, you are eternal. John 3.16 says that. The word says that you are saintly. Ephesians chapter 4. The word says in Psalm 139 that you are unique. Second Peter chapter 3. And you are secure. That is who you are. You are the presence of Jesus in this world. You are Jesus in your neighborhood. You are Jesus in your household. Remember I told you a story a long time ago. When we were touring in Turkey. And we had this young guy whose name was Naji. And one day asked Naji who he was, and he says, I'm a nothing. I don't believe in anything. But we sat at the Topkapi Palace where they had this throne room for Muhammad, and he showed me. He said, there's his beard and his tooth and his footprint. Can you show me that of Jesus? And I said, no, I can't. He says, how can you believe in Jesus? And I remember there from Paul's letter to the Ephesians where he said, we, we have this gift of the Holy Spirit that is in us. And I said to Naji, Naji, would you just touch my hands? And he kind of looked at me. I said, touch my hands. And I said, what do you feel? He says, just a man's hands. Nope. These are the hands of Jesus. Because they won't touch what Jesus wouldn't touch. And I said, Naji, look at my eyes. What do you see? He says, you got green eyes. I says, that's good. What else do you see? He says, no, it's just green eyes. I said, no, these are the eyes of Jesus. Because they look at you with the love of Jesus. And we left. And we prayed for Naji. A few years later, I was speaking at a youth rally, and I told this story as part of the sermon. And a person came up to me after the rally, and he says, I want to tell you something. We went as a church group to, to Turkey to go visit all the, the places of the New Testament, and our tour guide's name was Naji. And Naji has become a Christ follower. 
You are Jesus in your neighborhood, in the way in which you live your faith in a faithless world. You are Jesus in your home, in the way in which you live and love and care in a faithless world. You are a citizen of heaven. The devil has no hold on you. The world has no power over you. You belong to your father. You are in the heart of your father. That is who you are. Amen. And if you struggle to remember that, just look at the cross. And you'll see your name written on that cross in the blood of Jesus Christ. And you will see Jesus looking at you, saying, I died for you. And I love you. So sometimes you struggle and you stand out there in the cold and you feel like taking off that coat and hiding it away a little bit. I'm so glad that you're here today. Because here's my prayer that you will remember that this is only Esther chapter 2. doesn't end in chapter 2. We're one page away from a 5th century B.C. Jesus changed my life moment. Because Esther and Mordecai will come to their senses. And our God, who is a God of second chances, will put them right on their way again and use them as his instruments. So if you're standing out there in the cold and you're shivering a little bit and you're waiting for spring to come, can I invite you to do something? Just take your coat and come on in. He's waiting for you because he knows who you are. Amen. Thank you for your word, Lord. A word that speaks into our lives. A word that speaks the truth into our lives. Challenges us. Help us then, Lord, to not conform to this world but to allow your Holy Spirit to transform us from our mind right into our hands and our feet and our voices and our eyes and everything. Teach us. Teach us how to be your presence in this world. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.